This is Delving to Discourse. I'm Isaac Pickram. I'm Mitchell Elaye. And I'm Jahari Shelton. This is a new podcast where we will be discussing and evaluating our opinions, sentiments, and analyses on the pressing issues of our world. Today's discourse will continue about gender cultures, <clears throat> gender abolition, politics of representation, and progressive patriarchy. So we, we want to start by going back to what we ended up on um, the last podcast um, where we stumped Isaac by asking about freedom, because as you know, authoritarian do not want the people to be free. <laughs> they would like the people to be carceral. So, um, Isaac, your you know, thoughts after last episode about gender abolition, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> I'm not opposed to it. I, I think I came off as being opposed to it. And that's not necessarily what I was saying. Um, and what I was saying before we even started the podcast was that I don't think what I was saying was false in terms of me talking about how people automatically associate gender and sex. Not that that's like a positive thing or that's what I think should be done. I just was making the statement. Um, but regardless, I think I would say I fully agree with gender abolition now. Do you? <laughs> right. You don't. Well, well, the th <laughs> what I was saying before is like, there's no reason to oppose it. Yeah. Right. So I'm glad you got that from the last conversation. <laughs> now, the, I think the real question is, is that it seems like, for you, like what it sounded like to me on the last podcast, and this is why I was a little confused and why I was like, where's revolutionary Isaac now? Was because it seems that the, the predication of your support for gender abolition lies in two things. One, that people's hearts and minds um, change. Because it, so as to say, back to your point about people conflating or people not knowing the difference between biological sex and performed gender, and that, I guess, it's, it, it sounded like that was a prerequisite for you in order to achieve gender abolition or to pursue it. Well, I think, like, when you say, like, where is revolutionary Isaac, I think the thing is, is, like, so much of my sort of decolonization, anti-imperialism mindset, and this is what I said last time, is centered around pre-colonization mindsets. And I was... I think I was simply pointing out the fact that while we look, we want to, and when I say we, I mean people from colonized na nations like Trinidad and Tobago, um, want to go back or take elements of those pre-colonized cultures. And in the conversation of gender, I was pointing out that those cultures, wherever it may be, um, both cultures that are relevant to me, but also other peoples who are colonized, um, had a concept of gender and had gender essentialism, but there was a completely different concept of what it meant to be a gender or gender fluidity. And I think that's what I was talking about last time. And I think that is very radical in a Western sense. I don't think it's as radical or as forward as gender abolition. And I think that's just where I was getting to in the last conversation. Right. 
in addition well, to the fact that I don't think they're if, if we're going to talk about pragmatic, I mean, there's not a logical difference or, or not a logical difference. There's not an effective difference between 100 percent gender fluidity and the abolition of gender. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, OK, right. I get that. Um, I just want to clear something up because people aren't I don't think they understand what we're referring to when we call Isaac the authoritarian. We took, and I can like, I can post the, the results in the description box of this, but um, we took the political compass test, all three of us, and Isaac was the most authoritarian. However, we all were in the green box. So. Yeah, it's not like I was like on the authoritarian right. side. We were both on the lower half. Right. Or not, we were both, all of us. Right. I was on the lower half. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean the? Oh, you just mean that quadrant? Yes. Oh, we well, let's be clear. We were all in the same quadrant, but as quadrant. we know, <laughs> all skin folk ain't kin folk. Okay, so let's keep that energy going here too. Wow. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, anyways, that's what I was saying about uh, gender. Right. Well, also it came up recently in another conversation that I was having. I mean, so uh, to look at it from like a well, an African womanist lens. Not that I am such, but that I <laughs> I consume that type of theory the most. Um, gender abolition is definitely something that's a bubbling new topic. As you were saying, like, there is this um, desire to go back to pre-colonial society um, or draw, like, heavy aspects of it. But I think even within that sphere, like, we hear gender abolition a lot more especially since if you point to kind of certain indigenous African societies and the way gender was treated then, like, there's just so much to say, but, um, right, it points you in the direction of gender abolition and to Jahari's question, like, what do you have to lose? <laughs> like, right. what do you lose? Um, are you choose, do, do we want to choose privilege in the situation over, um, freedom, and I have to laugh if someone is choosing privilege. I think that's absolutely fair, and I, I think I fully agreed with the part about, like, what do you have to lose? Like, there are people who are opposed to it, and I think I was never at that point. Um, and I think I th we may have had this conversation before on the podcast, but this question of, like, over-glorification of pre- colonial cultures I think is yeah. a good one because sometimes they are over glorified yeah. um, but the very rigid um, gender essentialism was a very European well I don't even want to say European concept but um, something that was not present globally um, from an anthropology perspective right. um, so yeah mm. Okay, so I think that, okay, so this brings me to my second point about what you said. So I, you said, and I quote, <laughs> I don't understand the purpose of abolishing gender if people are going to say things like, woman can be whatever you want it to mean. And I think that I took issue with that, particularly because, and, and, and somebody really said on Twitter that kind of summed up what I meant, what, what I was trying to get at, was that it seems that that, it's interesting in that conversation that we only talk about <laughs> that woman is the thing that can be expanded. We never, you didn't mention men as an example. And I well, think that that's very telling. That, go ahead. What were you about to say, Otway? 
Well, I'm not here to to defend, but it seems like the that would be the logical identifier to um, expand upon, as that is the kind of objective um, marginalized gender. Well, if, if we're if we're still dancing in the gender binary, right? But that's also, I guess, to me, that still centers cisgenderism. Okay. I that, yes, I, that, I agree that like because even for trans men, like the 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 the, the concept of man still needs to be expanded in that sense mm. like like because no 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 but not even not even by the way when i say no 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 i'm not disagreeing with that but not even in the sense of just um trans men but cis men who aren't straight like yeah the yes. definition okay well, see, but now the, you're the, disrupting my question let me get to the question first <laughs> <laughs> let me get to the question first is this how we roll <laughs> so what my my i guess not the question that I'm asking to you, but the point that I'm putting on the table is that it was telling that we mentioned womanhood as the thing that is expanding or is a conversation about expanding um, because it, because manhood is very resistant to change. Like, and, and I think that's what I was trying to get at that, that womanhood is actually like kind of having the conversation. Manhood right. is still something that you still have to push yourself into. Or you have to claim for yourself and and explain how you fit into that. Womanhood is having a very much more progressive conversation because everybody who is a woman is suffering under patriarchy, if that makes sense. So I think that's fair. But I, I let me say two things about what you just said. Hold on. So not you disrupted before I put the other. Thing you, on. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where you're going with I was this, just but trying you gotta... to get that part out. Okay. So the real question here is: the person on Twitter said that since Frank Ocean, and I would agree. Um, that queer aesthetic has taken its hold inside of redefining cis heteropatriarchy to the point where queer aesthetic is now accepted um, as a type of progressive um, model of manhood, like in, in terms of um, like the like the aesthetic of queerness, meaning like behavior or meaning just like pure like I guess like tokens right of queer identity of queer male identity specifically that he has ushered in a more progressive sense of what manhood can be and so basically meaning the 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 concept or the ideal the ideal of manhood is is expanding but it's still expanding as only being um able to be captured or able to be performed by straight men Okay, but what is progressive manhood if you're a gender abolitionist? And that was the point I was making when I was saying the thing about what it means to be a woman. And by the way, I think the the criticism, or not even the criticism, well, whatever way you meant it, the acknowledgement of looking at the at, at woman rather than man is worth pointing out and discussing. But I think within that comparison, the point I was trying to make is that you have progressives, and I think I would say more so liberals, who say that the definition, like if you are a woman, you can, that, that's anything. That is anything that, like, it doesn't matter. And I don't think, I don't think that's problematic. I think it's logically problematic to then bring in transgenderism and have those two things in one setting. I think it's logically problematic, but at the same time, there have been many times before 
where I sort of take an over logical approach yeah. that sort of doesn't necessarily take into account what's really going on in the world. And I think that's sort of what's going on right now. Yes, a thousand yeah. percent. I was just about to say this. So you really can't logic your way out of it. But like, so I think that... Um, Come on, though. I like, I tentatively disagree because... With what part? With Okay, so let me say the Frank Ocean kind of um, progressive patriarchy I, I understand it and I get to a certain extent. Also, like, is that historical historically like correct? Was there not like Prince? Like I'm thinking. No, but that... I think but if you think about like the times, the time of Prince, people still to this day are like Prince was gay or Prince was showing his and they're, and, they're, and they're saying Frank Ocean is. Right. Of course, but but okay, but if you look at the actual like timeline of what the virtue of manhood is looking like back then it is unpopular to wear things like, I mean, it's still unpopular today to wear things like Prince was wearing in terms of the most provocative stuff he was putting on. Yeah. But if you, if Prince is comes out in seven or it comes out in the late mid to late seventies. So really it's the eighties and the nineties that we're talking about. So if, if you're in that funk disco kind of space, that is a much different um, right. thing. Like, and, and I think that it's also time-based, like we're not living in post Prince ma- masculinity turns. We're living in post, I would argue we're living in post Frank Ocean turns because it's all about when you come of age and what your era is. The people who came of age in the 80s will have a much different territory of what the more progressive masculinity Absolutely. is based off of the people of their time. The right, people of the right. person of our time is Frank Ocean. And what I'm saying right. is that Frank Ocean, while they, you know, there's obviously some homophobia, there is also an acceptance um, for for people you know growing up in his wake of his you know emergence into the public scene that territorializes his queer aesthetic and repurposes it repurposes it in order to make a more um progressive patriarchal future so as to say we are expanding kind of the limits of what masculinity can mean meaning what you can wear what you can say what you can do you can act in a homoerotic way but don't step too far Right, mm. right. Like you can act in this way towards other boys, and, but don't, but don't do too much because we don't need to question you. But what okay. is still particularly um, accepted is re-territorialized as a result of his aesthetic, as a result of his look. Right. No, I, I hear you on that. I just think that I don't know. So, so, so yes, I would agree that the what it means to be a man. Um, in a gender like performance sense could be expanding I guess the question is at the expense of who um, but like I still think actually no let me go back and say I think Isaac mentioned like womanhood is I don't remember the word but kind of more fluid more open um, and less rigid like like the performance of, of what it means to be a woman is less rigid than it, it means to be or what it means to be a man like I, I would agree with that, tentatively. Um, but the again, question is, the second follow-up question is always for whom. Right, right, at right, the and I think that's who. what you were trying right. to say. Right, 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 exactly. Um, I mean, this is, I guess another whole conversation about like gender and sexuality as well, because I think a lot of times, like certain certain gender performances are um, not accepted because they suggest, in quotations mark like certain sexualities um and like you can go into like bi whatever 
Um, but I still yes, biphobia. Yes, go on and say it, biphobia. <laughs> you can right. Well, that literally just the whole umbrella of homophobia. Well, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast that we could talk about that. Right, right, right. <laughs> but like, I think I I I still think that. Um, so actually, okay, so I do agree with the article, but I I feel like it's missing something. I don't know what it is, but to me, that's not enough. It's not pushing me enough. <laughs> it's not not centering enough. yourself in discourse. <laughs> yes, red heart. Okay, and I think I think it's also why people don't understand toxic masculinity. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, like if you think about it, the argument against toxic masculinity is that's not toxic. Be- and I think that that's because the notion has changed. You see what I'm saying? Like, as a if continuing to say post Frank Ocean masculinity <laughs> terms, that the the nuance here is that okay, so my view of masculinity, my view of manhood, is much more progressive than I grew up with. So therefore, I'm not. I'm nobody's carceral in my in in my view from what I say because I'm more progressive than somebody else, or okay. from the from the norm. Or right. from my upbringing, and so what? So it's also about, um, like being able to accommodate some level of am- ambiguity, some level of proximity, and some level of validity in being close to queer aesthetic or queer performance without stepping over the line or without towing right. the line. And so that's why I think that most people can, or why I think some boys or men cannot identify themselves as toxic because they believe that the greater culture has moved past that. Mm. I think right. I definitely agree with that. Right. Or that they've, I think actually a large part of that is this, like having toxic masculinity be a thing of the past. Like I think that they're pointing to get in the kitchen type people um, and that's like a very right. limited definition of what I mean. Well, some of them are just fully saying "get in the kitchen," but that's a that's a whole other thing. But like, they are pointing to a very um, historical, um, really just like twentieth century <laughs> um, version of a toxic man. So they lack nuance, essentially. Yes. They don't have range. They don't have range for the people who watch the Blackest Queen episode. Right. <laughs> no range for them. Right. Okay. Yes. Oh, also, oh, it- one more point. I think you brought this up actually, Oddsway, but I think that it is critical to talk about is the threat of violence as well. Yes. That in a modernist, progressive, patriarchal future, <laughs> that violence is is set back if that makes sense for those who are not performing well or those who are not performing accurately Isaac had his opinions on this when we talked about it as it relates to environment but I don't know I don't I, it's interesting because I guess that would kind of um <laughs> be regressive towards the statement I just made if we if we do the violence thing based off of environment, because then that would mean that the post that the more modern patriarchal future is not universal. 
No, I'm willing to go. Jahari, why don't you start that? I just did. Well, okay. No, I was saying, why don't you? Okay. Well, if you're saying what I think you're saying, which is like just the umbrella of patriarchal violence, are you going in the sense of, are (laughs) actually now I'm a bit confused. Are you going in the sense of like our specific context? Or are you now just talking about the patriarchy induces violence? No, no, no. I'm not going to the general patriarchy inducing violence. That's not where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to okay. say as it relates to specific context okay, and, okay. Where you, and where you operate, that, right. the, that the terrain of masculinity is different. It is still underneath the general culture that I think I'm speaking to, but it is still happening on different territories. Okay. Right. No, I get that. Oh, Lord. Isaac, you froze on the Zoom. Well, <laughs> let me take a screenshot. Oh, God. This is, this is the conversation. You're talking about the conversation we had uh, a week ago. Right. Is there a question? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think it's pretty open-ended. So I'm sure you have thoughts, so just share them. I mean, it's pretty, uh, not self-explanatory, but there's certain environments which are, I think, we we agree on like the different environment, different type of masculinity or or acceptable masculinity or lack thereof. But um, we disagreed about sort of the different definition or the the actual line of that masculinity in different places, which I found interesting. Right. Is that pushing well, you me... enough, Otsway? No. So let me go. Um, <laughs> I feel like. So I feel like Jahar is getting at, so let me speak for our shared institution because, right, I love that term. Just don't Anyways. say the name because I don't want to have to start over again. No, it's the shared <laughs> institution. <laughs> Just call it the plantation. Call it what it is. Now. Right. Call so at the, the plantation, at the plantation, I have observed a specific performance of masculinity, which is not, it's not, it's not kind of specific to our plantation. <laughs> um, but that is the primary place that I notice it, observe it, and experience it, which is the performance of masculinity, um, but to a degree of like mockery of, of girls, of women, of the LGBTQ plus community. And as, to use Jahari's term, homoerotic, I mean, it's still, still homophobic <laughs> regardless, <laughs> but um this aspect of we are going to do things, say things that mimic, um, I guess, queerness, right. womanhood, girl, right. girlhood, Which whatever. I just explained. It's the queer aesthetic that is appeasing to them as opposed to the label of queerness itself. I feel like that is, right, right. That is, that is the underline. But I feel like when I'm speaking to this plantation society, um, it is more, it is less like the, the queer aesthetic and more so like a mockery of, because I think. But here's the thing. This is, this is where our disagreement, because I think that you perceive the plantation to be significantly different than other places, other plantations. I'm I'm past that view. And I don't think that's the case. (laughs) Not keeping my partial to that. I'm I'm past that view. I understand that it exists. I think I think primarily it exists in the elite sort of Spaces. like progressive. I would agree with that. Lightly. Like I do not think that is universal. Um, at right. Point. Right. 
so to speak to that, to give you more anecdotes, right? So it is the come on anecdotes. It is. It is like so. I think <laughs> it is popular for girls um, to kind of hype each other like up under Instagram posts and whatnot. And all of a sudden, I saw guys doing it, and I like it. It was funny because it was a mockery. Like I. I'm totally admitting to the fact that I laugh because I think it is a mockery of what we do. Like that is, that I, think, is I think I think I would say two things. I think or or not two separate things, but just I think there are two things influencing that. And I think part of it is a mockery. Um because well, for one, it's a mockery because especially on um a certain especially with a certain skin complexion, like it's very fake behavior and everyone picks up on that. And that makes that part of it funny. So I think there's definitely a mockery of that. But then I think another section of that is going to back to what you said of this thing of being trapped in the patriarchy. I think it does conflict with the definition of masculinity, which is why it seems odd. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of guys in that situation don't want to be constricted to that. And so their only way is through mockery. Right. Um, well, okay. So, I, well, let me say something really quick. I think that- Or perceived mockery. I think that this is now a conversation that necessitates us to also say that gender abolition also necessitates abolition of sexuality. Particularly because of the oh, absolutely because of the conflations that we're talking about, as well as like um, even sexuality, like is tied up in gender performance, right? Or uh, is tied up in what you're saying about the fact that um, elitism, right? The ability to have resources, so the ability to have less violence threatened around you because money means that you can act in any way that you want so to speak um that like well that, i think gone, sorry gone. go ahead. gone gone well i was gonna say like being the over logical person here that's pretty easy to acknowledge because okay. all of the um i mean all sexualities in terms of their definition at least in the very like vanilla sense i know there are like many thousands of them now but are defined by um gender so i think that's absolutely true that's all i was gonna say right but okay so going back to that state i forgot who said at this point but i think it's not like again the question comes at the expense of who because there's a distinct difference between um performing like as as a guy performing gender um, that is more in line with how uh, a girl would is stigmatized and you are almost guaranteed patriarchal violence. If you make a mockery of it and still remain in your um, comfortable um, performance of manhood, that's different. Like it's at the expense of who? Essentially what I'm saying is, is that if some of these guys were um, identified as gay or bi or not straight, this would be um, something that they would be ostracized, ostracized and marginalized for. Right. 
Absolutely. And so it is therefore at the expense. And would run away for who... and would run away from it because it would now have repercussions. Right. Right. So it's like slapping well, slapping each other in the butt anyways, whatever. Not football players. Um, <laughs> but like that is a thing. Like, <laughs> like that is a true thing. Um, I don't even know how if it gets too anecdotal, it might just lose its power as a as a but statement. I don't think listen, I make this statement all the time. The compound of anecdotal evidence is statistical evidence. Like, <laughs> if, if anecdotal evidence is happening enough, which I think in this right. case it is, like, I, I, I'm just, I'm agreeing with right. what you're saying. I don't think it's a matter of anecdotal evidence. Right. right. I think also another thing that is not talked about in, gen- or at least not as prominently in gender abolition, um, is uh, racialization and sexual, like, sexual... Sexual. I don't think sexualization is a word. Sexualization. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If it's yeah, a, I don't know if it's a word, but I'm gonna make it up for right now. The encyclopedia has spoken. Okay, period, period. <laughs> okay, so I was right. Um, so in the sense of like, I, I think I can just really chalk it up to, um, I don't know. You know, we got mixed company on this podcast, so I'm gonna be careful how I say this. Single black mothers, right, are, are vilified for being single and criminalized for being such most likely because they are not most likely but sometimes they can tend to lean right the poverty bound and then tied to criminality right your motherhood tied to a criminal and carceral place yeah and single fathers i mean not single fathers absent fathers in general being seen or not being not having any type of repercussion to them but the child being um, having to deal with the 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 punishment, whether it be more social, mental, emotional, or spiritual, because it makes it seem like they have somehow failed, as opposed to the father's failure. Right, and that has right. a lot to do with um, that has a lot to do with gender because sometimes because well, I'll speak from personal experience anecdotally. Um, if you have an absent father and you don't perform gender as illustrated by knowledge of what mm. your sexuality is then it is put back on you for having daddy issues mm. um, same thing with women in relationships if you are in short relationships or if you are perceived to be a more sexual being you are tied to having daddy issues that you right. have mental problems that would put you in a place where um, you are now um a criminal in the social sphere, right? Whether that be in the legal system or the or just like you know cultural norm spaces, um, and then you know simultaneously with single fathers. So I guess a single mother necessitating a absent father or a less than present father is the mm-hmm. it's the same <laughs> taxonomy when it comes down to the children and how children mm-hmm. learn of gender in terms of. Um, disadvantaged by not being in a two-parent household or not being in a healthy household uh, or not just be, not uh, having a system of healthy co-parenting happening over top of you. Right. Wow. I mean, whoa, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I mean, fact. Isaac, you crying like T.S. Madison? <laughs> Wiping your eyes? No. <laughs> I, I agree with what you said. Was, I mean, can I? Not you having no words, but I agree. 
I mean, this I think when you have... This is the second episode in a row. This is the second episode in a row. Oh, Lord. I think when you have... Um... It seems like that pushed Otway enough. So I've done my job for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I will be seeing the rest of the She's delved in. Well. She's dove into discourse. <laughs> Okay. Is that the past? Okay. No, yeah. it's delved. I don't know why I switched the verb dive. Right. It's delved. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, can I? I mean, this might not be exactly what you were saying, but right, to, the intersection of race, gender, sexuality. I mean, I think misogynoir is coming to, well, it's coming to Instagram. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> it's coming to the Instagram. Coming to you. Right. No, 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 no. I think you're misunderstanding, Isaac. She means those memes that people make in order to explain systems of oppression to the whites. Oh. And, and, the, and the colonized people who haven't got uncolonized, or at least a little right. decolonized. No, I'm, I'm saying that I, I've seen misogynoir in an Instagram graphic, so... Right. Oh, I see, um, I see, I see. <laughs> right, just to speak about that, right? Like, even the, the idea, especially for dark-skinned Black women... Or, I guess, fat black women. Um, Not an like episode the, on fat phobia. Right. But, like, the <laughs> the kind of association um, of, of, like, manhood or men or trying... She looks like a man. Like, I hear that too much. Um, and that is... I think that's relevant in the conversation if you're going to intersect race, gender, and whatnot. I mean, it, it goes into, like, again, another longer conversation but um i think it's relevant to what you were saying though about how actually right yes no it is relevant to yes the... fatherhood because now you're talking right. about just looking like your dad and how right, 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 right 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 and i.e blue name? ivy blue, blue ivy, ivy right. has entered the chat or the pod right. we should get her on as a guest host <laughs> True. but we probably can't pay her fee if she charges <laughs> we get Rihanna. Stop, stop. I don't know. Stop. Text her. Right. <laughs> yes, everyone. Isaac does know Rihanna. Next. Next. We're friends. <laughs> I think friends is an overstatement. Acquainted. Probably an understatement. Ooh. Oh. I'm joking. Right, Drake has entered the chat. You know, Drake is still oh, obsessed with uh, Rihanna. No. Uh uh. uh. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move right. on. I think I might have something. Um, this is switching gears. So I think Jahari mentioned this, but I somehow have taken it upon myself because this has been grating on myself for a bit. Oh, not spiritual warfare. It. Come on. Inner spiritual warfare. Wickedness. And we talked <laughs> about it in, the, in one of the Blackest Queen. Um, I think that was our fifth episode. Um, but we brought up Blue Ivy, so we have to bring up her mother yet again. Um, we didn't but, like, have to, but I'm glad of, that you did, I guess. The politics of representation, um, mm-hmm. like, really, I'm over it. It's below my pay grade. I'm tired of talking about representation along with what up, cultural appropriation. I don't want to be represented anymore. Save me. Save me. <laughs> this, this Titanic is sinking. Right. There's too but many like, black I faces think... and white spaces mean the boat is now covered. <laughs> I think I think what's happening though, especially within the liberal neoliberal space, um, is this obsession with representation. Again, at the well, expense 
of of like the actual people trying to be represented or some of those people um again like i was just talking to johari about this but i take an issue um with the with beyonce just being described as a black woman because beyonce's experience as a billionaire light-skinned woman does not reflect dark-skinned women poor women like and so when you're talking about someone who struggles um on on a capitalist level (laughs) um we can't like that's silly that's actually silly. Well, um, same thing with Kamala Harris. Go ahead, Johan. No, go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Finish, and then I'll make my comment after Isaac. Um. Right. But so I still think that we are um, obsessed, or not we, but people are obsessed with the optics, the politics of representation, the idea of just being a, a black woman, or um, the idea of of like them being there in the space is really just regressive. Like I actually would go as far to say as it's regressive. Mm. So, well, what I was gonna say, and I think is worth clarification, I don't know if this is necessarily what you mean, but when I say I'm tired of representation politics, which I think I am, um, in terms of like the, the the revolution is constantly evolving. Oh Lord. I I'm not it's it's because and the reason I'm clarifying is because I think people would hear you say like stop with all this like representation stuff and then they and, and you're kind of in your head like I mean it's not a matter of like not wanting to see black faces. It's right. a matter of why they're there, how they're there, right. like how are they operating in those spaces. And so that's all I would say to clarify is it's this thing of like oh, we've shown you, now stop asking us right. for freedom. Like, right. <laughs> I think that is just the clarification I would make, right. at least for myself, just to be very straightforward. It's not a matter of, like, we want to see more white faces. It's just this thing about, like, how far does it go? And why are they there? Are they truly represented? And we talked about this last time, is the characters, especially if we're talking about entertainment, of who is being, re- or how they're being represented, right. it's often in a um, stereotypical manner mm. or just a derogatory manner. So I right. think that's worth saying. I also saw, some, or I heard someone say the other day, I feel the same way about Kamala that I feel about Beyonce. I don't want to diversify the capitalist class nor the electoral politics. Like, I think that people are like again <laughs> at the expense of who um and if we get obsessed with just seeing the face and we're not tracking their history themselves like how are Kamala Harris does not represent like black women as she has done harm to them like there there is <laughs> there's a dissonance there she represents a black woman who has done harm to black women and i'm not saying that I'm not absolving her of any of the misogynoir she's personally getting, but it's a double-edged sword to a certain degree for me. Um, mm. And I'm tired of pushing for representation when it's not true representation. And I actually don't think right. true representation will ever exist. So, m- again, my pessimism has entered the chat. Jahari's <laughs> gone to sleep. Is it my turn? Oh, yeah. Um, so... I actually was watching a show. It's the Karen Hunter show, just for full disclosure. Yeah. Um, I don't like the show, but that's a whole nother conversation. 
Um, so she was on, I can't remember the young lady's name, but they were talking about um, Kamala Harris. And I mean, I guess I was turned on to the show really because the woman who she had guest starring um, was an Elizabeth Warren for VP stand. <laughs> Which, you know, makes me laugh with five Fs at the end. Right. Um, anybody who is standing Elizabeth Warren is... <laughs> Stop. Um, it's laughable. Um, and so, you know, she was talking about... Re- really, she got down to what the crux of several arguments are. Is that's what the system we have is. And so... Um, that's lazy, um, as usual. Like, that's lazy. You know, people are often talking about, as they do in many election cycles, okay, you're complaining, but what are you going to do after? Like, the complaining shaming, right? As many will do when it comes down to this politics of representation thing of complain shaming. Oh, you're complaining? I thought that's what the blackies wanted. The blackies wanted right. to see more blackies right. in front of them. And um, I think that it is once again, like in what you said, Isaac, important to talk about what spaces they occupy, right? Like black teachers are very different than black politicians. Like they exist in different spheres of society. So meaning they have different uh, wieldings of power, influence, and money. Black politicians uh, sit at such a high part of the ruling class, even if they are black, that they are asked to do such abuse and such harm as a way to solidify their position there. Whereas I would say a black teacher is simply just asked, get the black children in order and we'll keep you around. When you get, when you stop. Right. And then think about, think about um, like black models who like the, the person will sit there and be like, wow, like your, your skin is such a specimen. It's so beautiful. But then you look at like the staff of like, major fashion like brands and it's all white and it's just a matter of like because that that's even and that's why i think i would agree with the stance of like it's regressive is it's literally like a show and it makes me uncomfortable it's a corporate strategy right it's a corporate much like (laughs) anti-racism right yes yes but you're right and so like i guess that's the behind the camera diversity conversation that i'm tired of too but um, of like essentially that like right we're seeing representation in big quotes in front of the camera but behind the camera it looks totally different and well behind the, the camera they're bombing people but anyway <laughs> <laughs> not a laughing matter literally not literally not I like to say um, I didn't laugh the two of you did that's just that's oh. to say everything that's needed to know stop it <laughs> right right. And also, I think, like, when people talk about identity politics, it, it annoys me because maybe that's not even the right, the, the politics of identity, to use Jahari's um, <laughs> passive structure syntax. Like, I think um, passive. people forget that, well, that's the, anyways, um, people forget that Donald Trump is also um, playing to an identity Oh, absolutely. And so, and like people get so confused when, when well, that Well, I think the up. better example would have been Obama, but anyway. No, but, but. No, 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 but it's because he's a white man is why no, it's such a good no, example. But I'm, I get that. But what I'm saying is that the nobody forgets that he's playing to a identity because no, I it's think very so. clear who he's playing to, if that makes sense. Like the, the, the discourse around Donald Trump is always surrounding his base. 
because that's what he exists to do to inflame the base up. So therefore, the conversation around maybe maybe you're overestimating identity. You're overestimating the intelligence yes. of the general person yes. because yes. his base sits there and says we hate identity politics, and then the strategy is identity well, politics. Well, nobody says his base is particularly intelligent. But they, they know what this, first of all, Ben Shapiro knows what he's doing. You cannot convince me that Ben Shapiro yes, does not know yes, what he's Yes, yes, just like, operating. okay, yes, just like Donald Trump right. is aware Just like of it. some students on the podcast. <laughs> what? I mean, not you? the podcast, I meant the plantation. <laughs> oh, oh, not me like, speaking when I'm trying to right. make a like, point. Uh, not me okay. <laughs> right. Right. Garden yes, of, yes. if you read your Bible. Right. <laughs> but but like just to that point like I I was saying this earlier on but I actually hate and despise people who call Donald Trump stupid that is so that might even be sillier and stupider to not understand that this is a strategy like this is a performance this is a <laughs> game like <laughs> his whole thing is he knows he's going to tweet some crate well some liberal 30-year-old is going to respond and be like, you're dumb. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What is that about? <laughs> like, he's told you, he showed you who he was in 2016. Did you believe him? He and showed so, you like, who he I was think... when he said that the the um, Central Park Five should be executed. The right. exonerated five. Like, right. it's... Right. Well, that's but another better... that's another conversation. I'm going to put a pin in that. This episode might run for two hours. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a um, a better um, pinpoint of identity politics with Joe Biden, though, because I think he's playing to um, a specific like I'm from Delaware. Um, like, but the problem from... is, okay, yes, but liberals agree that they're playing identity politics they i look i personally disagree with what identity politics has become and even just the basic premise right of like i mean it's it's just identity politics has even i i would go as far to say ruined what it means to be intersectional and intersectionality because in identity politics it's like a resume of your identities that therefore make you an expert or not an expert, and that's not the case. And I don't think that's what either of those two things were for. But I think the problem with saying that about Joe Biden is that they acknowledge that. The Democrats agree with that sort of, or let me not say the Democrats, but sort of the establishment Democrats and the very like white liberals are like, yeah, this makes sense to me. Right, no, okay. At, at least in the sense of public discourse, not in making laws or anything, but whatever. No, right. No, I agree. Okay, that makes sense. So I think all I'll add to this really is that both parts, both if we just look at Donald Trump and Joe Biden are existing in long histories around the ways to use identities as um, both campaign and political strategy as well as political wedges. Yes. Um, And all they're doing is playing the game. Like this is how the game, right? It's the same thing as Joe Biden Mm. <laughs> as Joe Biden picking Kamala Harris is Joe Biden is an architect Pick me. Choose me. Is, an, Sorry. is an architect of the law and order um yes. discourse. Right. Oh, because in the in the 
Wow, I can't even remember the year. But sometime in the 20s. 1994. Not 94, honey. I'm not talking about the crime, crime bill. bill. I'm not oh, talking okay, about the no crime bill. bill. It's before the crime bill. So maybe it's like, um, I don't know if it's Nixon or if it's Reagan, but one of the two. And the issue is the Willie Horton ad. I think this is Reagan time. So this is like 1980. So the, the issue is that Joe Biden is now seven years in Congress, if I'm not mistaken, at the time of this happening. And the, the issue was that they were the Republicans in their longtime strategy in order to paint uh, the Democrats as the blackie sympathizers um, right. were is that they were soft on crime and the Republicans were hard on crime, which is how you get the sensationalization of um, the quote unquote crack epidemic in black community in the 80s and 90s. Right. Like short was. I mean, th- this has mostly been a. I, br- I bring this up because it has been discourse on Twitter for the last two days. Is that um, we trust the media as a mm. means to um, understand situations, and that is what we go to as our anecdotal evidence or as our statistical evidence. Oh, you see so many crimes happening in black community on the media. There are definitely right. way more danger happening out there, and that's why you have people calling who have never stepped foot past the northwest quadrant saying i would never go in the southeast chair because too much too much too much crime running rampant and then it's just like the only difference is one has police and poverty yours has elitism and playgrounds right (laughs) (laughs) that i what you said about like the perception of I mean, and this applies to every city, but for D.C., like, Southeast, I mean, that is so true. It's scary. Right. And I actually, the reason I said that was because I was thinking about it in myself, is, like, very, as as a child, 100%, like, if somebody said Southeast, that just meant, like, a ghetto to me. And that's so concerning. And I didn't rid myself of that until I literally met people. Your jokes are not I funny. I'm until I met people, talk to people, and but even if you even think about like my personal experience with that, um, the places I met, all the friends I have from um, Southeast DC now, or from <laughs> other parts of DC, I met them at Sleepaway Camp News, and. Um, and when I say news, I mean like cable television. So I just think, I, I think that's a good point. Right. I mean, that goes like really far. Um, like the optics of it. They love, that's the thing. Like people, I was just talking to another person about this. Like propaganda is everything and is everywhere. Um, and America is in love with optics and um, seeing things. Uh, I mean, you can go into like Africa, for example. Like, how many kids told me in, in, like, second grade, why would you go back? Why would you want to live in a hut? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> my, what, 18-room hut? Like, thank you. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Don't try it. Not 18-room hut. Right. Like, I think I think people, right. So the imagery um, of certain neighborhoods, this is like, I don't. This is like ninth grade discourse to me, but I, <laughs> I think that it does speak to um, how much we trust the media, um, especially as it pertains to electoral politics. But also, like, there's this whole new wave of 
um, finding um, neutral media, nonpartisan media. And there was this obsession, especially within like elite liberal spaces to like deep, um, to not have biased media, whatever that was. And I find that um, odd, pacifying, um, confusing, um, gaslighting. <laughs> I think it was just so weird how they were wa- they want you to sympathize again this is the american um kind of order and whatever they want you to sympathize with individuals who fully just don't want to see me alive like i can't i can't do that um this is maybe so, again i sway i sway always that i'm i'm introducing a whole nother topic but i think it's on topic this time what I think is interesting about this conversation about media is that it was, at least from my historical understanding, obviously it's difficult when you don't live through it, but it has always been partisan. The last time media was not partisan was in the 50s because there were four channels. One was reporting news, one was a sitcom, whatever it may be. But, I mean, it's always been partisan. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is that p- how much people recognize that and thought about, or maybe not even people, just how much people, yeah, I guess I would say in general, but people thought about how it was being presented to them. And the other thing is, if you think about like, especially the rise of the internet is now we can get information and we can see right through them in terms of what the actual information is and what's being presented. So, um, yeah. Do you think the media will go obsolete at that point? Well, I think media is a broad term, and that's so, the problem. Sorry, with... news, news channels, news. Right, cable, news cable news, television. I think right. they already are. I think they yeah. already are. I think a lot of younger people get there, um, and and you know that might not necessarily mean that they do go obsolete because given capitalism, they'll probably acquire all of the online news websites and right. you know over time but i think that specific uh means of entertainment will uh fall off for sure because nobody really watches cable television like they used to right that's true final thoughts johari so before the call um and i think that it came up Briefly, as we talk about politics and representation, is gender cultures around social justice and advocacy, um, and how there tends to be more women who want to be involved or who are involved in that space as opposed to men, and why that is. I think we touched on that in the first <laughs> 40 minutes of this podcast, why that is such a disparity. Um, but you talk too can speak to anecdotally on the plantation. Um, <laughs> why, I will. why that may be or why that is. I think it's for so many reasons. I mean, I think that. So the first is clout, like actual, like social currency, and like what it means to be involved in um, going back to like manhood. Um, and what it means to be involved in social justice. I'm using quotation work. Because at the end of the day, it requires empathy. And I don't think manhood 
necessarily um, encourages like true like empathy like fit or, or projected empathy um, and like kind of those types of spaces um, furthermore I think clout like I think as a social as a social thing to be involved in um, equity justice diversity work um, it's not that cool like I don't think it's going to get you um that much I, I guess so like cred or like clout. It's negative. Um, and so it's negative. It's negative. You are a social justice warrior. And so um I don't think that most boys or like high school guys would care to risk their social standing for that. I I absolutely agree with that. I think I mean, I'm somebody who always calls people out, not just because I hate the, like, general discrimination, but also because I like getting in people's faces when they're doing stupid stuff. Um, but I'm not, I'm never congratulated for it. That's, like, the nicest way of saying that. Um, I also think if you talk about our plantation, like, and this is sort of what I was talking about before. There's Former so, much, plantation. There's so yes. much misogyny on our plantation that if you are, and I'm talking from a male perspective, so stop me if I'm wrong. I talked with a lot of women at our school about this, our plantation about this, but um, <laughs> you're almost forced into that position because you yeah. have to advocate for yourself all the time. And yeah. you know that behind closed doors, people are talking about, especially if you're a black woman, people are talking about you behind your back. They're right. saying racist, massage, whatever it may be. So you're forced into that position. Um, right. And I think that's a major part of it. Right. I mean, I think like the, di the diversity and inclusion sphere has taken, like is more of a presence within the elite institution um, like within elite institutions, period. Um, so I think it kind of like, I guess there's more nuance there as well. Um, it can't, but it's weird because like, if you look at like the civil rights movement, civil rights era, and how um, it was very clear that men were um, at least publicly leading or the imagery was of men leading, but what that meant, right? Like, that was more so a statement of the man leading as opposed to the man having empathy and caring a little bit more about people. Like, I think that it, the, the, the nuance and the conversation has flipped in a sense. As like, formerly, if you were involved in this type of work, it was because you wanted to lead your people. Now it's because you care to have a little more empathy and you're a little more in touch with, um, like, feelings and people's, like, experiences. Right. Is, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's all I have. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so I think I'm going to tread the line on school abolition here. <laughs> so I might as well yes. before I say it. Um, I think this is reminiscent, particularly as it relates to doing activism or advocacy work. I say that with quotes um, inside of schools, whether that be a K to twelve institution or a higher education institution. That most because 
it's really more of a conscious choice about who to be your mule because you actually don't have a clue about how to lead an institution of education. You only know how to lead an institution of indoctrination. So when people are challenging what your very institution is designed to do or what it outcomes it is designed to produce, um, then you lean on them right? <laughs> who have been struggling against you for years to now be the mule that you need in order to get anything done. And it is just easier to make mules out of women because uh, most of the leaders of these types of institutions or just in institutions in general is our men. So it is a an abuse of women's work or women's labor um, to make things better as a means to make men look good. Oh, I did this yeah. for the children. Oh, I did this for the students. But it was really the probably majority female students who were um, pushing for it, right? Even in our, back to my former plantation, y'all's current plantation, uh, that when they changed the dress code, right, the people who were pushing for the dress code to be changed, the black girls, I mean, um, were were not named and they were right. generalized as students. Some right. students came to us and told us that the dress code was unfair. If I had still had the email server, I would bring back up the email, but it was the students um, some students have come and expressed their discontent and concern with our um, dress code. And so we have now chosen to make these changes X, Y, and Z with no particular credit or congratulations given to the people who actually struggled, not only with the administration as it relates to making the policy to change, but in terms of the social culture that put them at that mm-hmm. particular place in, at, to begin with and the okay. ramifications within um like the social sphere or the social capital system um, or caste system um, that they were suffering under as a result, right? To struggle against an institution is also to make enemies of your peers who think the institution is running just fine. Right. Um, And once again, it's usually women who are not, not more comfortable, but also find better community in calling it out because there's some type of collectivist nature and I'm mm-hmm. and specifically black girls or black women having some type of collectivist nature because they're suffering under many different um, forms of violence that are inherent in these institutions. Right. On your civil rights point about men um, being the face, right? The civil rights movement, I'll specifically speak for the more Dr. King-ish movement um, and the transition from, or, or the outgrowth of radical youth from the, you know, Martin Luther King, Black preaching power, Black liberation theology kind of thing, um, that it was Ella Baker who had been around since, I don't remember her specific day of birth, but she had been around long before the 60s um, because by then she's like grandmotherly age. Um, And that she had seen decades and decades of, um, of success, of failures, of pushbacks, of regression, so on and so forth, but she kept pushing and it was always her doing the behind the scenes work of organizing, of supporting, of her ideologies around what it takes to be politically educated that were driving those movements. Right. So that's all I have to say on that. Right. And then again, I mean, like, this is going into like <sighs> misogynoir and whatnot, but like the expectation was for her to keep pushing behind the scenes without recognition, but that we are not holding. I guess our men to do the same. Well, we were holding our, making our gay men do the same. Oh, that's right, right. <laughs> so our cis het men to do the same. 
clarification, yes. Also, um, to clarify, I guess this is one of our last remarks, on the conversation of gender, it, we would be remiss and it would be disrespectful to not recognize and acknowledge the fact that like we are cis people speaking. Right. Like that like yeah. this is we talked about that we, on the last one as well. Yes, but I think it's i think it's important to say it again. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> if they listen to the episodes in isolation. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't really know where to go off of that. I'm glad Isaac is on the gender abolitionist train now. Thank you for decolonizing. Oh, please. Your freedom dream just got that much free. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay. Isaac? You know we end with final thoughts. Go on now. Oh, I I thought those were final thoughts. Wow, that's crazy. Um, Okay. I guess I would just say... (laughs) Not him thinking I would... I thought thought that was sort of a... Because we're, oh, actually, we're fine, right? Sorry. Um, um, I think <laughs> this podcast is hilarious. Oh, my goodness. I think, <laughs> yes. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> this is okay. a first. Go ahead, Otsway. Um, well, this is actually well, a third. I'm going to end it with plugging um, a YouTube video that I was watching. I will put it in the description here, um, which is African Women's Theory. Um, they talk about gender abolition from that perspective. I think a lot of people can get blindsided. A lot of cis people can get, bl- cis men especially can get blindsided within their revolutionary work and um, I guess politics when it comes to specific patriarchal um, or symptoms of the patriarchy, patriarchal violence and whatnot. Um, and yeah. Make sure your freedom dream is getting us all free. Make sure it is not a wet dream. Okay, bye. Not a wet. Well, I thought this was a holy podcast. All right, right. so that's it, y'all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) Be prepared for the next time. I think the next episode will have some guests. So (laughs) be prepared for some new voices um, to come to the fold. All right, that's it. Bye. Bye.